March 25, 2022, in Masechet Sanhedrin, if you count down in the wide lines, it's ten lines down, it's two words before the end of the line, the word metiveh. If you recall, the context is pretty simple. He had a statement of Rav Yehuda in the name of Rav. The statement went as follows. To Adam HaRishon, there was an isur, there was prohibition to any flesh. They weren't allowed to consume, to eat flesh. They were only allowed to eat, as were the beasts of the land, from the grass and vegetation and anything that grew from the ground. Not animals. It was only in the times of Noah, Hutar Lahem Libnei Noah, the achila, the eating of flesh, of all flesh, of animals and beasts of the field. Again, provided later on that it was kosher, but initially, all of that was permitted to them. Now the Gemara over the course of the next several many lines is going to challenge that statement. Is it really so? I thought Adam HaRishon was maybe allowed to eat from animals, the flesh of animals. Metiveh, metiveh of course means we're asking a question. We ask a question over here specifically from a pasuk. Pasuk says immediately after Peru Urvu, the initial statement, command of Adam and Chava to procreate, this is in Bereshit, Perek Aleph, Urdu Bidgat Hayam. Hasuk says, and you should be rodeh, not to be rodeh b'farech, we have later on with regards to Am Yisrael, but over here it's to command or to conquer and to rule over, that's lirdot, bidgat hayam, over the, uh, the fish of the sea. Well, what are you doing with regards to ruling over the fish of the sea? You're not a mermaid of any sort. We're imagining that this command to Adam Arishon or this statement to him is to conquer, to take over the fish with regards to eating. I mean, says the Gemara, my love, la'akhila, we're not suggesting that this means with regards to God's words to Adam HaRishon that he's allowed to eat from the fish. What else are you doing with regards to conquering, capturing, and uh, being a ruler over them? You're eating them. Well, that being the case, we just challenged the statement of Rav. Rav stated that Adam Arishon wasn't allowed to eat from the flesh of animals. We extended to fish and to bird and to anything alive. The only thing he was allowed to eat, our understanding of Pasuk, was vegetation, was the growth from the ground. That being the case, we have a question from a simple and unadulterated Pasuk. says, What the Pasuk means is that you're supposed to be Rode Adam, and in turn, of course, us, over the Degatayam, the fish of the sea, What's Lemelacha? To work with them. To work with them? I mean, I don't know about you. Says the Gemara, what sort of work are you doing with fish in the sea? The only thing that you do in terms of capturing, conquering, and taking over them is eating them. Says the Gemara, are fish really uh, something that you can uh, use with regards to melacha, uh, to any productive activity? How are you using fish? Says Gemara'in, indeed they are. Really? Now, they're going to quote another statement of one of the Emoraim, which in turn is going to prove that he was of the opinion that it's possible to use fish. I mean, it doesn't prove it in a sufficient way, per se. Have you ever seen? Well, today, you can imagine you use fish in order to generate energy. Maybe you have them moving around, and as a result, you generated energy. The Gemara says in a theoretical sense, or even in a practical sense, it was possible, or it could be possible, maybe provided that you're dealing with bigger fish, but it's possible to use fish for melacha. It has to do with the safek of rehava. Now, we're not going to solve the safek, the doubt, the, the uncertainty of rehava. We're just going to quote it, because by quoting it, we'll understand his assumption is that you can use fish for working 
for working. Says Gemara de Ba'ere Chava, after all the following uncertainty ha, uh, was of Rechava, Hinhig Be'iza Veshibuta Mai. You see, there's an isuf in the Torah that you're not allowed to uh, thresh in the field. You're not allowed to plow in your field with a shor and a hamor. A shor and a hamor, what's that? An ox and a donkey. Uh, the Torah just mentions those two, and our understanding is, by extension, it's all other animals as well. Um, well, what about if it's one animal on the ground and one animal in the sea? What if it's an ez? What's the translation of an ez? What type of animal? What do we got? A goat, uh, that's right, uh, a goat and a shibuta, shibuta is a type of fish in the, in the sea, so what if you somehow saddled a yoke onto your goat on the ground and on some sort of fish in the sea and you have them in turn plowing forward and it's affecting something or another. What's Allah in such a circumstance? Is that a prohibition, is that a violation of the prohibition from the Torah? of threshing, of plowing, of kilayim, of two animals together. That was his question. We're not going to deal with that question, but we mentioned that in context of, you see, fish could do work. Question? No, why, why is it so difficult? Why don't you say, like, the birds feed the fish or the animals feed the birds? And that you move over to allowing that to For allowing the animal kingdom to take its... Uh, and, and you're ruling over that? In what respect? You're overseeing it? You know, you could stop it. Had you not been told that, maybe you felt... You'd stop the animals from eating. There is, it happens to be the Gemara doesn't address it. There is a suffix about whether animals were allowed to consume other animals. So to speak, if there was a reality in the world before Mabul Noah on animals consuming other animals. So that's, you know, leave that in terms of that question with regards to your comment. But anyway, I mean, what are you stopping? Are you stopping fish from, uh, or from being eaten? That's your concrete? Or the, because I'm in charge, as well, I do on the flip side. It's a possibility. Right, the Gemara has better because is, 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 is it possible? I don't think it's possible. Is this possible? Is this one possible? All right. All right. Anyway. Right. If it's a big whale, I understand. If it's a big whale, but assuming you can control that big whale as well. I mean, maybe a goat. Um, all right. Anyway, says the Gemara Tashema. That's why I'm saying Rehavah Safik is more a theoretical Safik. And the Gemara proves, proves that you could use fish for Melacha from what seems to be a theoretical. All right, regardless, says the Gemara Tashema, I have from the next words in the Pasuk. Pasuk doesn't say that you're going to rule over only the fish of the sea. It also says, Ub'of HaShamayim, over the fowl, over the, over the birds of the skies. My love la'achila, how are you ruling over the, the, the birds of the sky, the fowl of the world? It appears as if it's because you're going to eat them. That's the permissibility. That's the statement Adam Arishon. You see, Rav, you told us just a few moments ago, or yesterday, that Adam Arishon wasn't allowed to eat the birds. He wasn't allowed to eat fish. He wasn't allowed to eat any animals. The Pasuk says explicitly he's, over, he's supposed to rule over them. We assume that means to eat them. Lo lemelacha, says the Gemara. No, there as well. It's to use them, and he's given the permissibility, or maybe even the mandate, to rule over them with regards to 
to doing melachas, as the Gemara, ve'ofot, b'nei melachanin, who? Are you going to do maybe even more wild than talking about using fish for melacha? You're going to use ofot, you're going to use any birds for melacha? In, says the Gemara, indeed it's so. It's so, really, how so? Again, the Gemara is going to quote a suffix and uncertainty, this time of rabba not deal with it, but prove from it that it's possible to do melacha with, with birds. How so? Dash. Okay, so now, first and foremost, just what we see in those words. Avazin are ducks, tarnigolin are what? Chicken. So the statement over here is we're talking about threshing with chicken and ducks, which means you're doing melacha with them. That's easy enough. And that in and of itself is the proof that you could do melacha with them. That's urdu bitgatayam uvof hashamayim. The command to Adam harishon, the permissibility, is not just or is not at all to eat from them. It's rather to do melacha with them. Uh, what is this safek specifically, even though we're not going to deal with it, but the Gemara is quoting it. There is a mahlok between biyoseh berbiuda and hachamim in the following context. The halacha is a po'el, a person who's working in another person's field, is allowed to eat under some circumstances. Under what circumstances? Well, the Torah permits, or rather the Torah prohibits you're not allowed to, while the ox is uh, threshing in your field, you're not allowed to muzzle that ox. So Rabbi Yosef Yehuda's understanding of that is the ox is using both legs and, uh, and hands. In other words, all four of their body parts that can be used for melacha are being used in such a circumstance when it's similar to an ox that you can't muzzle it. Therefore, says Rabbi Yosef Yehuda, in any circumstance where the person who's working in your field is using both their feet and their hands in order to do the melacha, that's where they're permitted to eat. If they're just using their hands, just using their feet, says Rabbi Yosef Yehuda, they're not allowed to eat. There's any sur for you, or you can tell them that they're not allowed to eat from your field. Again, the Torah says, don't muzzle the ox. Don't muzzle the ox. The ox is using all of its body parts, specifically all four of them. So too by human beings. That's the statement of Rabbi Yosef Rabbi The Hachamim disagree because they have a pasuk in which it seems to suggest just, just by entering into the field, there's no longer muzzling your kitavo. When you enter into, you're now permitted to eat. Says the Gemara, here was the safik of Rabba Baravuna. Rabba Baravuna says, listen, I understand according to Rabbi Yosef Rabbi it's an interesting statement, but his statement is that per human beings, it's similar to the oxen. It's when they're using all four, both hands and feet. What about when something, when a being only has two, like a duck, like a chicken, there's only two feet, there's no hand. In that circumstance, are we allowed to, or are we commanded, that we're not allowed to muzzle those animals? Can those animals in that circumstance be muzzled to make certain that they're not eating from what's taking place or what they're doing? Or alternatively, since they're using all the body parts, so to speak, that they have to do the melacha, is that sufficient to say, you're not allowed to muzzle? them. How would you muzzle a duck? I guess you put something over its beak. A little difficult, but you do something like that. That's the safek of Rabba Baravuna. Why is it being mentioned in our Gemara without actually dealing with it again? To tell us there's such a concept as doing melacha with birds. As the Gemara a little bit onward, Tashima, the end of the Pasuk, Ubekol Haya Haromeset Al Haaretz. The end of the Pasuk says that Adam Harishon was commanded again, Peru Urvu, Urdu, and go and take control over, rule over. Uh, but then, haya, 
the wild beasts which move around, which prowl in this land. Well, when we're talking about wild beasts, who does melacha with wild beasts? You're imagining, so to speak, the, the lions, the tigers, the, uh, the crocodiles. I mean, who's doing melacha with the hippopotamus? You're doing melacha with these? Hahu says the Gemara, this time we're not going to pretend that you're doing melacha with them in today's day and age. Who's doing melacha with Hahaya? Hahu le'ituye nahashu de'ata. Says the Gemara, that one, mm, that was relevant once upon a time to Adam Harishon. It's not that it was permitting the consumption of the flesh of the Hayat HaSadeh. It's rather speaking about melacha again. Melacha, who's doing melacha? Melacha with the nahash as it once was. What do you mean the nahash as it once was? Before the nahash was slithering on the ground and Ahash, the way the Torah describes it is walking around not only was it walking around it was purposed to be functional for human beings to be functional in what fashion to do melacha for us that's the Gemara that's the reference in the Pasuk any of the wild beasts that are prowling on the ground that's talking about the, those which are like the Nahash how so? Tanya? It was, Nahash is still wild, but says the Beraita in just a second, the Nahash was wild, however, purposed to be functional for human beings. Detanya, Rabbi Shimon ben Menasya Omer, Haval al Shamash Gadol Shabad Minaulam. He bemoans the fact, Haval, woe is to us. Uh, this is uh, Rabbi Shimon ben Menasya on the Shamash. Shamash, of course, means the helper. We once had our servant which was lost. Which servant of ours was lost? She'il male nitkalel Nahash, had the Nahash not been cursed. Every member of Am Yisrael, we would each have two Nehashim. We'd send on a constant basis one of them to the north and the other one to the south. We'll talk about why that in a second. Says Rashi, that's precious stones. Tobim, the Avanim Tobot, and other stones that are precious and expensive, Umargaliot, and pearls and gems, Velo'od, and not only would these Nehashim that we'd have as our aids and helpers be acquiring for us wealth, in the sense that they'd be getting us those precious stones, the expensive rubies, Ela Shemafshilin Retzu'ah, they would furthermore be able to spread out these nehashim that we'd have as our aids, their tails, and would be spread out almost like some sort of belt, and they would in turn bring in dirt. They'd be like, I don't know, a zamboni of some sort. They'd smooth out and bring in the dirt to our fields. They would do that sort of work for us as well. Before we talk about the significance of these strange descriptions over here, first and foremost to note, why is the Gemara mentioned? Gemara is mentioning this to state that there was a Hayah that would have been our helper, not the lion, not the tiger, not the bear, but rather the Nahash, the Nahash, and its similar ilk would have been 
for us, uh, uh, serving us, it was the Kilala, which did it in several factors over here. First and foremost, what's with these two descriptions of the tail being used to bring in the dirt and of it walking all around in order to get a stone? Says Maharsha, that's parallel to the two Kilalot of the Nahash. The Nahash was first and foremost cursed that now Al it's now going to go on its belly. It means beforehand it wasn't going to go on its belly. It was going to have the ability to be mobile in a regular fashion. It would be able to go to the extents of, to the Safon and the Darom, to get us stones. And of course as well, it's that it's now going to eat the dust of the, of the, of the earth, of the ground. That was the second curse of the Nahash, which means to say it was initially going to be used functionally. Instead of eating dust, it was going to used use the dust and the dirt in a functional way to help us. So that's already parallel to the two kilalot. What's with Safon and Darom? Why does it need to go to the north and to the south? Maybe it could go to the east and the west? Suggests Maharsha as well. This is everybody knows. The poles, the north and south pole are where the most extreme weather is. Human beings are supposed to be going east to west. We're not supposed to be going per se too much north and too much south. Uh, if we have others who we could send, that we could send our messengers to handle that for us. It's colder in those directions. We're able to be in the middle around the Eris Israel zone, well, kind of where we are, maybe a little bit lower, kind of down Florida, I assume. But anyway, if you were in that fashion, you'd send the Nahash, you'd send your messenger to do all your business in the other uncomfortable situations. Lastly, last note uh, on this Bariat, uh, on this Beraita, in terms of explaining what it is about the Nahash. Just think for a moment about the symbolism over here. We're dealing with the Nahash. The Nahash is, as Seforno states, as the Gemara states, the embodiment of the Eser Hara. Can you imagine the description of Rabbi Shimon ben Menasya over here? Rabbi Shimon ben Menasya's statement is, of all the wild beasts, the one that represents for us sin and yeser hara the most is the nahash that's in his vision what would have been aiding us most had we and he done it right which means to say in terms of a musar scale that's a description of what yeser hara could and should be for us yeser hara is not just something to overcome as i've stated on many occasions it's rather to be utilized if you use yeser hara in the appropriate fashion if the nahash so to speak didn't defeat us and wasn't defeated itself, we'd be using it in order to function better. The concept and the context of this Beraita then, of this statement, is one in which in our own lives, the opportunity to be successful comes, of course, by capitalizing on our Yeser HaTob, but at the same time, turning to our Yeser Hara, and instead of looking to vanquish and to suppress it, understanding it and using it to our benefit. It's as the Midrash says, and we've stated on more than one occasion, that when the HaKadosh Baruch Hu exclaims about the creation of Adam, that it's Tob Me'od. Instead of just Tob, it's Tob Me'od. What's Tob Me'od? Several interpretations. The most blatant for us is that it's Tob is Yeser HaTob, Tob Me'od is Yeser Hara. Shema Israel says the Midrash, yeah, that's Tob Me'od, Yeser Hara. Says the Midrash, absolutely, if we didn't have Yeser Hara, we wouldn't have homes and we wouldn't have families and we wouldn't have wealth and we wouldn't have a, a society in which we have appropriate competition and growth and success. That's all as a result of Yeser Hara when channeled 
appropriately. It's what the Midrash says about Bechol Levavecha, Bishnei Yisrecha, Bechol Levavecha. Instead of Bechol Libecha, the Pasuk says, love God, Bechol Levavecha. And the understanding of the Hachamim is two hearts. What are your two hearts? One Yeser HaTov, one Yeser Hara, Shema Yisrael. Keep the Yeser Hara out of my relationship with God. I'd rather just be Yeser HaTov. Keep this pristine, keep this pure, keep this right. That's the statement of the Hachamim again. If you lose your creative capacity, your so to speak, Yeser Hara side of your dimension, you're a shallow person. You might be an obedient servant of a master known as HaKadosh Baruch Hu, but your potential to capitalize on your personal creative side loses all expression. That's what's being stated over here. Using the Nahash, the embodiment of Yeser Hara, if we had it right, it would be mishamesh us to be more successful in life. Says the Gemara onward, we still have more challenges on Rav. That statement of Rav Yehuda Amarav, Haya Rabbi Yehuda ben Tema Omer Adam Arishon Mesav or Mesev began Eden Haya. You should know, and here's an understanding, and not to be taken too literally, but understand it appropriately nonetheless. Adam Harishon was feasting in Gan Eden. How so? Solin lo basar. They were uh, roasting for him. They were barbecuing for him uh, flesh. And they were distilling for him wine. That's a good life. Where's the bread? I guess the bread, the uh, Gemara later on in the last Perek will describe how in Yemot HaMashiach bread will just rise from the ground, which means more than anything that's the end of process. What's that? That's the question. No, you're on the question. That's exactly the point. I'm on the side part. I'm just understanding uh, bread. But it's a description, again, by the way, of In Gan Eden. It's a class I gave on Wednesday night about Yayin. Yayin was not, it may have entrapped, ultimately speaking, but Yayin, wine, was never purposed to be, it's, it's another one of these Yeserara, Yeseratob situations, never purposed to be the embodiment of all evil. We use it to positive effects as well. Description is the Malachi Asharet. They're not only giving him flesh, they're giving him wine as well. Of course, they're giving him flesh. Additionally, again, gives us a certain understanding if for Adam Harishon, even in our conclusion and initial thoughts that he wasn't eating flesh, so maybe that's an ideal, an ideal needs to be understood with an understanding, an appropriate understanding of reality for human beings. Anyway, he sits bo nahash says the Midrash over here, the nahash looks at him. Hitzitz means to peer. He peers at him, sees his glory, sees his honor, vinitkanabo, and he in turn is filled with envy. Well, says Rabbi, says the Gemara intuitively, where'd the basar come from? I thought Adam Arishon wasn't allowed to eat basar. Rav, you told me he's not allowed to eat basar. This Beraita is clearly contradicted. I don't have a pasuk per se, but I have a midrash that's quoted in the Beraita. And yes, I told you, don't take it too literally to the extent that you're going to go to the bank and say, now I know exactly what Adam Arishon was doing. He was just sitting and feasting with the Malachim. But says the Gemara, and this is a lesson in reading Midrashim, says the Gemara, but pay attention to the details that were mentioned. Again, it's a lesson in, in my mind, there are two poles in terms of understanding Midrashim, and people forget about the middle. One pole is, let's read the Midrash and understand it and accept it. Every word in it is to be taken literally. The other one is, 
nothing in it and uh, disdain and don't pay attention to it. The middle ground is I have an appropriate appreciation for that midrash, but, and as well, I pay attention to the details. Not accepting it per se as being literal, but there's a reason they're using those details. If I make up a story, if I have a fable for you, and I inject several details, and you afterwards say, okay, I got the whole thing, but why'd you put in that detail? There has to be a reason for it. If the whole point was just to get across a message, then why'd I mention all these details? As a result, why are you talking about basar? If there was no basar, it's the wrong example. That's why the Gemara is able to ask this question. If we're on the opposite extreme over here, we say, the Midrash is silly, okay, forget about it. It's just an example. The Gemara is taking it seriously. Says the Gemara, hatam bebasar hayored min hashamayim. Says the Gemara, that circumstance, amazingly, is basar hayored min hashamayim. Keep in mind, who's feeding the basar? It's the Malachi Hasharet in this Midrash. So we're testing the Midrash, saying, how's Adam eating flesh? Not flesh from the ground, but rather flesh from the heavens. Now, first and foremost, just in terms of understanding that, the distinction is quite clear. If flesh was a problem, the way we understood it, based on Abar Benel, Rav Cook writes about this as well, that the flesh was a problem specifically because of the killing. We use Tosafot along these lines, that potentially Adam Arishon was able to eat from the flesh that was already dead. And by the way, the Gemara could have answered that over here as well, according to Tosafot. But regardless, now we understand, Basam and Hashamayim doesn't come with the cruelty, quote-unquote, of killing. Anyway, says the Gemara, it's from Basam. Says so Gemara, wait a second, is there such a reality? You ever heard of flesh falling from the heavens? I don't know, I never heard of uh, walking uh, the serpents either. Okay, but the Gemara asked the question, says the Gemara, is there really such an entity, such a reality? I don't know, once upon a time. The Gemara says, no, it still exists. Indeed there is. And says the Gemara, similar to what happened when Rabbi Shimon ben Halafta was walking on his way. Azil means to walk, or ha means on the way. Pag'ubo, hanach aryavata dahavu kanahameh le'apeh. He encounters along the way some lions who are roaring in his way. I don't know how Bishimon ben Halaftake encountered lions. Ostensibly living in Eretz Yisrael, I don't know if we have lions there. Okay, that's wild beasts, maybe. Amar, he, he exclaimed in that moment, the pasuk many of us are familiar with, Hakifirim l'shoarim l'taref, ulvakesh me'el ochlam. That's from uh, Barachin Nafshi, right? Says the pasuk, Hakifirim shoarim l'taref, the wild beasts are are, are, are roaring for something to be mitaref, to eat, to devour, ulvakesh, and to request me'el ochlam from HaKadosh Baruch Hu, their food. In other words, the reason Rabbi Shimon ben Halafta is expressing this pasuk in this moment is he's asking God, could you provide for them their food? Instead of me being their food, could you give them their food? tarte atamta. And in that moment, says the Midrash over here, Nahitu, uh, Nahit means to come down, descend from the heavens, Tate means two, Atamata means two Yerachim, what's a Yerach? It's a thigh, two thighs of meat. And as a result, these lions are, are sufficiently satiated. Hada Achaluha, all they needed was one to eat. And here's Rabbi Shimon ben Halafta walking away with another thigh of meat, probably a, a heavy thigh of meat, it's from the heavens. It says the Gemara, Vehada Shavkua, they left the other one. Aite, he comes, he takes it and brings it to the Bemidrash. 
who does? Rabbi Shimon ben Halafta. So he's holding a piece of meat that health fell from the heavens and he walks into the Midrash, ba'i'ala, and he asks in the Midrash, davar tamehu or davar tahor? He says, am I allowed to eat this or not? Is this kosher or not? Of course, I didn't slaughter it. Of course, I didn't see the animal when it was alive, but it fell from the heavens. Amrule, the rabbis in the Midrash exclaimed to him, en davar tameh, yored min hashamayim. They said, absolutely you're allowed to eat it. Why am I allowed to eat it? Because there's no such thing as something unkosher which falls from the heavens. It's an amazing thing. I mean, the Gemara is very serious about this. Gemara is serious about this story, and the Gemara in turn is injecting it into the Midrash that there's this meat which falls from the heavens. I don't know that we encounter this all that often, and don't, as a result, imagine that, I don't know, when the bug falls from the heaven into your home, that it's kosher, because endavar tamayyore. Now we're talking about, I don't know, some other type of basar. Anyway, says the Gemara, Ba'eminer bizera mirbiavahu, yaridalo demut hamormahu. The question of bizera terbiavahu is, all right, that's when the flesh looked like whatever it looked like. What if it comes down and it looks like a hamor, like a non kosher donkey? Are you allowed to eat that? You just told me that this endavar tamir edmin hashamayim. Is that because literally anything that comes from the heavens, quote unquote, is kosher? Or alternatively, is it only because we assume it's a kosher animal? So maybe this is not a kosher. Amar le yarud nala. He turns to him and he says, You wild bird. I, don't know, I was very angry at him. Who is it? Biava was angry at Bizera. What a silly question, you wild bird. You're just uh, chirping so much. That's a very rough expression. Didn't you know the rabbis say that we don't have unkosher food which descends from the heavens? In other words, that would be kosher as well. That's an amazing fact. If you take a step back, I know it's theoretical, but if you understand that, it means that I have a dead donkey in my backyard which I saw coming down from the heaven. There was no airplane, there was no drop, there no lift, or anything like that. It's kosher. Why should that be kosher? It's a description in a, in a nutshell uh, of a certain uh, understanding that, that oftentimes eludes us as human beings. It's a vision almost of an eluva elu divre Elohim Hayim, which means to say if we envision the world from a broader perspective, from a godly perspective, so then whereas in mine and your world there's division, there's bad things and there's good things, in the world above, in an altogether different stratosphere and understanding of existence, it's all good. It's all goodliness, it's all godliness. And as a result, you can't have divisions between bad and good, kosher and non-kosher if you're in a divine domain. As a result, the description of it descending from the heavens, it can't be unkosher. Of course it can't be unkosher. There's no division, there's no distinction between kosher and unkosher. We're going to read in Parashat Shemini about kosher and unkosher. It's a description in this world. In this world we have kosher and unkosher. If it's coming from another world, if it's coming from the world of God, so to speak, there would be no such distinction. I understand this Midrash as as a, as, uh, as, as kind of uh, hinting to that sort of mahshava as well. Says the Gemara, Onward, back to our sorts of issues, away from Adam Harishon for a bit. Says the Gemara, Rabbi Shimon Omer, Afal HaKishuf, Rabbi Shimon added to the Sheva Misvot, Kishuf, Kishuf meaning sorcery, which we'll have opportunity in due time to discuss what does that mean, how would there be sorcery, what, 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 what specific types of sorcery, but before we get there, and that's a little bit away, what's the reasoning of Rabbi Shimon? The Hachamim derived each of their Isurim of Bnei Noach from Pesach. Sukim, the the Beraita. Rabbi Shimon adds this one on. He needs a pasuk dichtiv. The pasuk says mechashefa lo tehayetz. Pasuk in Parashat Mishpatim. Sorcery, you may not give life. In other words, you need to obliterate. You need to do away with all sorcery. Uchtiv. And then the next pasuk says koshochevim behema mot yumat. Anyone who sleeps with an animal, bestiality, gets put to death. What does one have to do with the other? 
sorcery and, and bestiality. Uh, it's hard to find a common denominator. Says the Gemara, that's what we, we do. We have simuchim over here. We have one pasuk after the other pasuk. We call that simuchim. And in turn, we're doresh halachot. We derive halachot because of this juxtaposition. Juxtaposition. How so? Kol sheyeshno bichlal kol shochevim behema yeshno bichlal mechashefa lo tehaye. Anyone who's a part of that prohibition of sleeping with an animal, meaning even a non-Jew, is a part of the prohibition of the mechashefa as well, meaning a non-Jew. That's the that's how the Bishimon derives his halacha. The Hachamim, how would they disagree? They might say that in Dorshim Simuchim, the Gemara in several places has a machloka between the Tanaim about whether we are Doresh Simuchim. It's not a hekesh where it's in the same. Pasuk. It's two separate pesukim which are adjacent one to the other, and there's always a machlok about whether to be doresh. The most simple way of interpreting why they would disagree. What's that? Bishimon says they can't. That's the machlok of Bishimon and Hakamim. They can't be. What's that? Because of Gilui Arayot. They can't sleep with an animal because of Gilui Arayot. And in turn, this juxta, this putting them next to each other in pesukim. That's a very important question. Why doesn't the Gemara do simuchim all the time? I'm sure you've encountered many. Uh, the question is when yes and when no. Generally speaking, the hachamim were on top of this. In other words, they knew how you'd answer them why it's not really simuchim. So it, it does open up a bunch, but not as many as you'd think. Says the Gemara onward, If you recall, then added another one for the Bnei Noach. His one was kilayim. And we'll understand kilayim as crossbreeding. Now crossbreeding, there's many ways that Bnei Israel are prohibited. We're not allowed to wear crossbred sha'atnez. We're not allowed to seed a field uh, with two types of crops. Those we're going to see Bnei Noach are not really a part of what we're specifically talking about over here. And we'll understand why in the Gemara in just a moment or two or next week, is when animals are crossbred or when you graft a tree to the other. Those are the prohibitions for Bnei Noach, much as we have those prohibitions as well. Says the Gemara, from where are these words? Where did Rabbi Ezer come up of, with a prohibition of kilayim for Bnei Noach? Just before we continue, it brings me back, kilayim, and we discussed this, I don't know, three, four weeks ago at the end of one class. Kilayim is the paradigmatic, is the greatest example of the, the foil of what I mentioned a moment ago. I said, in the heavens, so to speak, everything's one. In this world, by contrast, nothing is one. We live in a world of piruda, of separation. As a result, it's inappropriate for us to go ahead and combine different features and facts and realities. That's inappropriate. We live in a world of havdalah. So you and I are going to go and determine, no, these two belong together. God created in this world separate. No, but in the heavens above, it's really all one. That's what you told me. That's right, in the heavens above. If that descends into our world, so then we'll accept it as such. But in this world, we have that separation. It's creation throughout the six days. The species and the beings are created liminam, according to their species. As a result, we understand a certain division. It's inappropriate to crossbreed them. How do you know B'nai Noach are part of that? Amar Shemuel, the Amar Kera et Hukotai Tishmoru. The Pasuk in the Torah, right before talking about Kilaim, has the following statement. Et Hukotai Tishmoru. You should fulfill my hukim. Return to those words in a second. The next words, Behem Techalot Tarbiakilaim, Sadechalot Israkilaim, Begit Kilaim Shadnez Loya Ale Alecha. 
It then illustrates, it then goes through the different types of crossbreedings that you're not allowed to do as B'nai Israel. But it begins with those words, et chukotai tishmoru. You don't have that very often in the Torah. The Gemara will point out another circumstance in a, in a few more lines, but right now, what, why'd you start that? I mean, you're about to tell me the laws. You're about to tell me the laws. I start and I say, and you need to fulfill my laws. Why are you mentioning and you need to fulfill my laws? What's more is, you're calling it chukotai. Now, the truth is, the hachamim many places say chok is something hard to understand for one reason or another or impossible to understand according to others. But the word hok, la hakok, hakuk, means chiseled. And the understanding in turn over here is hokim shehakakti lecha kevar. These are the already chiseled in laws. In other words, the pasuk begins in the following with the following words. Fulfill the already chiseled, in other words, already existent laws. Oh, what are those? and so on and so forth. As a result, what do you mean already? I'm, I'm receiving the Torah right now. You're telling me about it, God. I already had it? Oh, absolutely, you already had those. That's what Bili Ezer points to this Pasuk and he says, the Pasuk is referencing, it's hinting to us we already had it. When did we already have it? To B'nai Noach. It's not explicit in the Pasuk. It's not explicit. It's implicit. If I come into the class and I say, what we mentioned yesterday, you should certainly follow. It means that it was mentioned yesterday. The understanding is it was already mentioned to B'nai Noach. Then the Pasuk says, The Pasuk says that your animals you can't crossbreed and your field you can't seed, uh, cross, cross seed. We'll come back to these halachot next week, but what you understand is the Gemara is now going to derive from the specifics in that Pasuk, the specific with regards to these mentions in the Pasuk of how you do kilaim or how you shouldn't be doing kilaim, it's going to pay careful attention to those before returning to our understanding of B'nai Noach. Amen, amen.